Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist, Jay Carson. Here's our Ask the Politics Guys question for this week, Jay. Okay, fire away. Well, actually, we've got questions, plural, a, a whole bunch of questions, in fact, courtesy of loyal fan Emily from Ricelip, UK, which is right outside of London. Uh, And a while back, uh, I'm sure you'll recall, Emily gathered up a bunch, well, she asked a question, actually, and then after that, she gathered up a bunch of questions for us from her year 13 A-level government and politics class at Bishop Ramsey School, which is taught by Miss Robinson and Miss Hill. Hey, everyone. Um, Which is very cool. We are we are very honored and flattered that that, uh, you would submit your questions to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely the case. So, Thanks and for- it also could be the fact that because they're in the, the UK, uh, they, you know, when we say all kinds of goofy stuff, they just, you know, they don't know any better. No, no, I, th- I think they know better. They're, they're, they're a smart group and they recognize, I'd like to think that uh, we're, we're doing something that I is at least somewhat unique here and we provide, I think, uh, some valuable information. But we've got questions from them. We've got, in fact, 10 questions from. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hit them in the order that Emily sent them to us and we'll kind of do our best to give our rapid fire yet oddly in-depth responses. So you ready, Jay? Lightning round. Lightning round. Yeah. Okay. So you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First question from Hemish is Republicans and Democrats were once described by David Broder, who's a political uh, journalist and was political journalist in the United States to be two bottles, both empty. Is this still the case in respect with respect to the parties? What do you think, Jay? Two bottles, both empty. No, No, uh, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what I, I, uh, Broder meant by uh, both empty. Uh, I guess to the extent he means they are both empty, and then we are become sort of subsequently filled up with whatever the policy leanings, issue leanings are of the day. We just that each party sort of adopts those. I, I suppose it's true in, in that respect. Uh, although there are some some general underlying uh, principles that might affect either like the you know the shape or the color of the bottle. I guess mm-hmm. uh, is a little bit different. Yeah, you know, I think that that was more the case in the past than is the case now. And I think what we've seen is that uh, uh, with more polarization, the parties have become much clearer, much stronger in their ideologies. There was a time back, in fact, in the 1950s and 1960s. I'd say 50s, early 60s, yeah. yeah. Where, in fact, the political scientists, the American Political Scientists, uh, Political Science Association got together and said, we need more polarized parties, basically. We need parties to stand for something. Well, be careful what you wish for, right? Because we certainly, I think, now have parties that have real ideological content. And there's some there are some real battles being fought, particularly now we see in the Republican Party about what that content should be and what constitutes constitutes a real Republican and on the Democratic Party, you know, between Bernie and Hillary. And so I think absolutely now that we see that, you know, the, the, the parties really have, you know, filled up with content for better or for worse. Yeah. And that, they got content changes and evolves. But I think you're right. If you, if you look back and say the 1960 election uh, between Kennedy and Nixon, um, you know, the ideological differences between those two men were really fairly slim. 
Uh, and uh-huh. the, the question was, you know, one would be, you know, maybe marginally more tough on, on communism than the other. Um, now, again, in, in hindsight, we, we, you know, Nixon's been viewed as this arch conservative and Kennedy's been viewed as this crusading liberal. But you know, that that wasn't really the case when when they were both running. They were both really pretty middle of the road, uh, even sort of right side of the road uh, on a lot of questions. Yeah, absolutely. OK, question two from Talon. Do, pres- okay. do pressure groups dominate decision making in the U.S.? Um, dominate no but do they do they uh exert an influence yes and and i think that's good and that's going to sound weird but but i think it is good um I, I and will, i'll explain in a minute before you, but you, before can, you explain uh, you can, uh, i will consents. agree on all counts of all, almost on all counts i will say they absolutely do do play an important role in decision making and i will say that it can be good it can be good when a diversity of interests are heard from. I think it is not as good when there's much more representation from one side than there is from another side. And I think in some issues that is the case where certain interests become far more represented, usually interests that have the money and power and so forth. But uh, in a lot of other cases, it's kind of how the system was designed to work. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think – you know, a lot of people, um, lobbyists are painted with a, a as being sort of the bad guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and out myself that I am, in fact, a lobbyist. I have lobbied. Uh, I am currently a registered legislative agent for the uh, Ohio Lutheran High School Association. Oh, that sounds ominous. Um, it's one of those really sneaky interest groups. That, yeah, that uh-huh, really, uh-huh, yeah. Um, some of my some of my best friends are lobbyists, uh, and they they do really good work. Sure. Uh, and the job is that they represent the interests of a certain segment of the population, and all of all of the people out there listening, you have lobbyists who are working for you, and you may not know it or not, um, but uh, they are they're they're representing your interest. If you're in the you know American Dental Association, I mean the American Bar Association, uh, the you know the various unions, trade unions groups, you've got lobbyists working for you. Um, various government uh, agencies hire all their own lobbyists to lobby for one agency of the government over the other. Um, and it's important because uh, lobbyists can bring expertise. Yeah, government uh, couldn't in, function into, without, the, without the expertise that lobbyists bring. I think that's important yeah. to keep in mind that they are absolutely critical. So like I said, my only problem is when, the, de- when, when the, the scales are weighted a whole lot more toward one side simply because it has the resources to hire more and better lobbyists. And there are, mm-hmm. I would argue, certain issues on which not all – reasonable sides represented by a fair number of people are heard just because of that imbalance and that's my concern. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say say what you're say what you're afraid to say. Um when you talk about a group like the NRA, uh I think it's important to realize also that all lobbying groups don't work the same way. Um and the NRA is an organization that that's its strength comes mainly through uh, the number of members it has and the reach of, of the members it has as opposed to making uh, campaign contributions or, or independent expenditures. Uh, the NRA uh, has a lot of pull because they publish a voter guide that says here are our approved candidates. Um, you know, I, Jay, and, I, I and if you look, there's there's a certain, you know, that's, that's a Democratic uh, small d. Uh, good thing. And there is a, a group of people who have one, uh, one interest – 
um, and they have a voice. Now, you can disagree with that interest or, or how loud that voice is, but, but the strength of their voice isn't based on something sinister. It's based on just how many of them there are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I wasn't even thinking about the, the NRA. Actually, I was thinking more about financial institutions. But anyway, uh, we're, we're kind of – I don't want to dominate with this one question. So why don't we, why don't we move on? It was a really good question. question. What's that? It was a really good question. It was though, a really so. good question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Anyway. Keep it moving though. Lighting question around. Yes. Question three from Ellie. Do you think Obama should, or in this case, should have nominated a new justice? Uh, I absolutely do think he had a a constitutional obligation to nominate a new justice. And uh, I think further that the Senate should at least hold hearings. And I would expect reject that justice because he's not ideologically what they want. Uh, The only only issue I see right now is that the Senate is not fulfilling its constitutional obligation. Jay? Um, no, of course he he uh, he did the right thing in nominating someone. Uh, that's his job, and uh, it's the Senate's job to decide whether it wants to have hearings and uh, decide how they want to vote. Okay, all right. Question number four from uh, let's see, Talene. Uh, okay. Clinton said that if elected, she would be interested in nominating Obama to the Supreme Court. What do you think of this idea? Uh, not much. <laughs> Obviously, coming from me, I think it would be dreadful. Uh, there is there is some precedent in American politics uh, right. for that. Um, uh, William involves, Howard Taft, yeah, involves uh, yeah. another another Ohio boy like ourselves who hated being uh, president. Is, by the way, his wife kind of pushed him into the job. Exactly, he always wanted to be Supreme yep. Court uh, uh, Chief Justice. And he was a great and, uh, Chief he Justice. Got his wish, yeah, absolutely. Uh, after the presidency, yeah. And he was really a pretty good uh, – he was a decent president and he was a pretty good uh, Supreme Court justice too. Um, so it's not without precedent that this would happen. Uh, my sense of, of Obama being nominated uh, right now immediately following Hillary uh, – by Hillary, I think that would uh, be – that would be too much for a lot of people to take. Yeah. I would say that Hillary Clinton did say that it was a great idea, and she said she would take it under advisement, which is political speak for I will never do this in a million years, basically. But yes. but even if she were to consider doing it, I don't think it would be a great idea because I would be uncomfortable nominating someone to the court who did not have any judicial experience. So I, I would say even though he does have obviously a lot of experience in government, I, I like the idea of people who we can kind of get a sense of their judicial philosophy and action, what they've done on lower federal courts, which I think is why so many Supreme Court nominees come from uh, federal appeals courts. And I think that's generally speaking a pretty good thing. Right. Okay. Moving on. Question number five from uh, Miss Robinson and Emily. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Does money dominate the political process? And does the case of Jeb Bush prove the opposite of this argument or prove to oppose this argument? Uh, no and yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in I that think, order. I, I think. Uh, I think that's that's an excellent point. Um, yeah. Money matters. Money makes a difference. Uh, but money doesn't always win elections. You need to have a, a, a good candidate. It needs to be the right year. 
Um, yes. You know, it, it's sort of you can't really run a campaign without money, but just because you have money doesn't doesn't mean you will win. To put it in geek speak, money is a necessary but not sufficient condition for winning an election. It's kind of like oxygen. You can't win without it, but you need a little bit more than that to win. So we're totally in yep. agreement on that, though. I'm sure we disagree to the extent to which it matters. But anyway, okay, moving. Well, you know, let, me, let me say one ahead. more yeah. thing, though. It, it matters more, and this is going to seem a little bit uh, counterintuitive. It matters more in down ticket races. Oh, absolutely. That's a very good point. Yeah. Explain why, No, Because uh, the presidential candidates get so much press. Uh, they're on TV all the time. Um, if you're talking about your, your state Senate race, or I'm not sure what the, the equivalent would be in, in England, um, but, um, you know, a, a local elections where you've got one guy who's got $100,000 and the other guy who's got five. Right. Um, that that makes a big difference there and money can dominate in those cases where there's not as much media attention and so much of it is just getting yeah. direct mail, direct with voters. And that can be even more important, some would argue, because at that, it's at that local, that subnational level that so many laws and ordinances are passed that affect people's everyday lives. You know, and I think there's something to that. So, OK, um, moving on. Question number six from Ellie. OK. Does the whole controversy over gun issues prove the Constitution is not suitable for modern America? Well, we, we wow. I mean, we, we sort of dealt with that a little bit in our previous Ask the Politics guys about how we would amend the Constitution. And I, of course, made the argument that I, I felt, and I've made this argument in a number of different settings, that the Constitution was an awesome document for the 18th century, but it's showing its age in the 21st century. Now, that being said, before Jay, before you freak out on me, that being said, I am also what, you know, a self-identified Burkean conservative, meaning that I'm really uncomfortable with big changes because I think that people are just not as smart as they think they are and that systems are complex and that when you make big changes, you oftentimes cause yourself all sorts of problems. And so while I would agree that the Constitution has some real problems dealing with 21st century America, uh, if given the opportunity to change it, I don't know that I would make any huge sweeping changes just because I understand that I'm not as smart as I'd like to think that I actually am at times. Okay, Jay, you well, go ahead. That's a, good, that's a good perspective to have. That um, I'm not very smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. you know, it comes in handy a lot anyway. Um, so what's your thought on that? Constitution, suitability for modern America. Uh, yes, absolutely. It's suitable for modern America. Um, the uh, the idea, especially with guns, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, so much of the, the gun debate that we have isn't so much a constitutional gun debate. It's more uh, legislative gun yes. debate. Very good point. Now, now again, it's it's a lot easier when you have that constitutional amendment to stand up and sort of wave the flag and say, I've got a right to my gun and this is, you know, it's sort of some blowback. But um uh, no, I think it, it's absolutely – it continues to work. The Second Amendment is is a small portion of it um, and, and it's really sort of a, one of the odd, you know, kind of semi-legislative pieces that's in the Constitution as opposed to being a structural uh, piece. Right. Um, so no, I, 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 think it's, I think it's fine and I think uh, part of the Constitution is, is that there's conflict built into it. Uh, and and it's the idea that we're going to have conflict and we're going to argue about it and we're going to fight it out. Uh, and that's that's kind of how the framers intended it. Yeah. So it's not a bug. It's a feature of the document. OK. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. Question number seven from Hemish. 
Should the Electoral College be reformed? What do you think, Jay? Mm. Um, that's one of those interesting questions, and I, I defended this a, a couple weeks ago, saying uh-huh. that, no, this is part of our federalist system. Uh, so often it's viewed as sort of a, a vestigial tale that, that uh, is just something from the 18th century and ought to, ought to go away. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's more than that. I, I think we need to recognize that this is a, a federal republic uh, and there's a certain something to, to – sur- I should say sovereignty that, that the states have and um, I, I think it's good. Now – in our in our history, the number of times the president has been elected by the Electoral College when he did not have a uh, majority are are fairly narrow. There were a bunch back in the late 1800s, uh, 19, well, 18, so I don't want to give years because I'm probably going to screw it up. Uh, back in the day, yeah. 1880s, yeah. But there was one in 2000, uh, and then, of course. And then in um, the uh, Bush-Gore um, campaign – Again, I'm I'm not clear how the final numbers came no, out. Al Gore, Gore had more votes. Had the, yeah, Al Gore had more votes had the, in the popular vote, but George Bush won the electoral the electoral vote. Yeah, right, very very narrowly. So I, I would say in most cases, there's no conflict that comes up, um, and it's 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 one of those rarely is it a problem. Yeah, um, which is not and, necessarily and the, it was an issue. It, it's look the rules is the rules. Yeah, well, I and I I don't know that I necessarily agree with those as, as strong defenses of it. But what I would say is, you know, you and I have spent our voting careers for the most part in Ohio, and Ohio at the presidential level is a state that's almost always in play. So we can always go into an election feeling that, well, you know, our voter, our organization, our getting out and encouraging people really can matter. But there are a lot of people in a lot of states where that's simply not the case. You know, this year, people in – there are plenty of Democrats in Texas, for instance, who are going to feel like, why should I vote for president when my state is not going to go for Clinton or for Sanders? And that doesn't just affect the presidential vote. That affects down-ticket votes. So I understand the feelings of frustration for most people because most people, of course, aren't in battleground states, those – a dozen or most half. of your states don't matter. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> in, in that sense, they don't. And that's the system's designed to make them not matter. Having said that, if we were to make a change where every vote counted, I think about all the legal challenges in 2000. And I think if we had a close election, my God, multiply that times 50, because when every vote matters, every state all of a sudden is up for disputation and legal challenge. And, oh, my God, what a nightmare. And this is where I think the Berkey and conservative part of me sort of kicks in and says, you know, even though I understand the problems, the flaws with this system, just what you said is, is, you know, mostly it's not a problem. And are we going to make things even worse by trying to perfect the system? And so, yeah, close, close enough for government work. Is sort of how the phrase, and also I would want to point out one of the reasons that Ohio is is what it is is due to um, uh, Emily's countrymen, uh, our our English cousins, and when when the colonies were set up, um, and I'm just throwing this out there because I, a little bit of history, yeah, good thing, no, absolutely, no, but but a, a part of of Ohio was uh, part of the Virginia colony, and another part of it was Connecticut. Um, and as a result, I mean, as, as you look over the years, settlements kind of followed those paths. And we've got sort of a couple different cultures and a couple different things going on where the, the uh, northern western reserve 
of of Ohio is is sort of different politically than than Southern mm-hmm. Ohio, uh, and and we've got sort of a funny mix of industrial and agricultural, and that's one of the reasons why Ohio is still a, a battleground state uh, is because it's it's got a really mixed up demographic. There's sort of a little little bit of everything, and we have places like Cleveland, which is sort of like an eastern city. Uh, Columbus, which is sort of a midwestern city, and and Cincinnati, which is more of a southern city. Right, right. Yeah, so that's I think that's a really good point. And you know, and there aren't a whole lot of states like that. So so yeah, absolutely. If, if the king had drawn the charter a different way, you know, it would have it would have been different. Well, let's let's thank the king for having drawn the charter yes. the way he did. All right, uh, let's see here. Question number eight from Karina: Do you think affirmative action should continue? Wow, that's a big question. We could do a whole show on that. Now, of course, affirmative action is a blanket term that generally refers to uh, programs and generally in education and in hiring uh, government contracts that allow for preferential treatment for certain minority groups that have uh, shown a history of discrimination. Uh, Now, uh, quotas are illegal under Supreme Court precedent. So you can't use actual quotas, but you can use uh, racial, uh, racial, uh, other factors like that as kind Quest of a for diversity. Ra- yeah. Race can be a factor, yeah, I a think factor. Is, is the way it can, is worded, or diversity can be a factor. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I, I think that uh, affirmative action in that limited sense absolutely should Continue. However, I think that it's you know it's the state's responsibility to make a good case that it needs to continue because I I, I understand the the feelings of people who are shut out of a job or shut out of a college admission with a record that was equally good to someone else simply because of their race. You know, they happen to be white and they say, well, what about doesn't the equal protection clause apply to me? And I get that, but I also think that promoting diversity is. Uh, a reasonable and uh, an important objective of the state. And so, uh, I, you know, I think in certain cases that should override that individual's concern. Uh, but in other cases, maybe not so much. And so I'm going to waffle a whole lot on this answer, I guess. What about well, you, Okay. Jay? Well, I'm, I'm, I would say no, no more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're not going to waffle uh, at all. Yeah. No, no, but I, I appreciate where, where Mike is going with this and affirmative action originally as it, as it was created in in the United States, was the idea to uh, make up for past wrongs, right? Uh, make up for situations where minorities uh, or or women or other disparate groups had been had been intentionally kept out of the process, kept out of schools, kept out of jobs, whatever, what have you. Uh, and this was a remedy, um, but those times have changed, and the new rationale, uh, which was articulated in the University of Michigan case. Uh, is that there's a value to having diversity uh, in in uh, a college in that case uh, setting, um, which I agree there is, uh, but I think there are a lot better ways we can get diversity than looking at race. Uh, okay, I think I think the bigger gap, the bigger issue, and this is becoming huge. I think in the U.S., it's it's uh, income and it's class, and if you want to measure by by Income. Uh, I think you you can get sort of the same result, and you can get some diversity, uh, but you're not making a race based uh, determination, which I think uh, violates the Constitution. Okay. Okay. Let's see here. Question number nine from Emily. Number you- nine from Emily. Okay, our number one fan. Yes. 
Do you think that news coverage without opinion polls that focuses instead on policy would be preferential, or do you think opinion polls are actually valuable when deciding who to vote for? Um, yeah, I would. I again, and and this is this is coming from me who is is sort of a geek, and that is yes, I would rather get more information about what the situation is, what people or or what you know what a piece of legislation actually says. Uh, what the policy implications of it are, as opposed to just uh, what people who are called at random during their during the dinner hour and uh, chose to answer the phone um, think about it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that, I would. that said, uh, sometimes polls can be valuable or they can be useless, and a lot of it just depends on how they conduct the poll. Um, and and there's there's a science to it. And um, uh, professional pollsters. Uh, who do it for a living are really good and can get really good information. Um, a lot of media polls, when they're just looking at some, trying to get some sort of number to post of this many people think this, uh, often are, are not as good at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you on that, Jay. I think uh, certainly I'd like to see more policy coverage. I understand why there's more coverage of polls because that's a lot simpler narrative. It's easier to explain to people. It doesn't require as much and so forth. So, of course, we're going to get over-reliance on polls, and I would like to see that change. But just given the type of media we have and the and the, the necessity for media outlets to make money and keep audience, unfortunately, I think for you know for the most part, we're not going to get that kind of coverage. So. Okay, and our la- yeah, and part of it is we're we're going through a presidential election cycle right now, uh, so that's the biggest story. Is it's the horse race yeah. and who's moving up, who's moving down, and that's easy to to pull. Whereas uh, more complicated, I uh, say you want to talk about trade policy or something like that. Uh, it, it's more complicated to just get a plain yes or no as to yeah. if the election were held tomorrow, who would you vote for? Yeah, and not only that, uh, and that's a great point, but not only that, but policy positions, unless you're Donald Trump, don't tend to change a whole lot over time. And so once you've explained the candidate's positions, all of a sudden there's nothing that's news in that. And for news, you need yeah. to look at the race. And so there are a lot of good reasons. And, you know, we, we it's certainly easy to denigrate the media, but I think it's often wrong-headed. The reason they do a lot of these things isn't because they want to dumb down America. I think the reason they do it is because they need to stay in business, and that's just what they need to do and stay in business, to stay in business. So it's unfortunate, but that's how the system is set up, and I don't have any better alternatives than the system we have, unfortunately. Okay. And finally, from Connor, we have an international politics question. We're going to have to stretch a little bit on this all one, right, Jay. But right. I, we I, may be we may be in over our heads. I here. think we're capable. We can at least. Although, although I was, I had an international studies minor. There you go. Like, so you know, and, I, and I, I did, I did take a lot of international law trade courses. And I, so forth, I did, so. I did, I did as well. I took plenty of those courses myself. Most of them with one of my one of my now favorite teachers, Judy Krutke, who used to be my least favorite teacher. Who I was convinced you might recall that she was a communist trying to subvert the country or something like that. I think you were correct. Yeah. I was young. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so let's see here. Anyway, here's our question uh, from Connor again. Uh, and our final question is, what is your opinion of Britain leaving the EU? Well, okay. Well, mine? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, Connor and, and the rest of the class, I'll give this to you with the caveat that uh, look, I don't have any idea the real depth of the issues uh, that that you're talking about uh, as as you debate this question, uh, and and I will respectfully say that uh, the the kids in your class probably know a whole lot more about this uh, 
uh, pro and con uh, than than what I do. Uh, but from sitting from where I am, uh, get out while you can. <laughs> Okay. Would you like to elaborate on that, Jay? I wasn't crazy about you getting in in the first place. Uh, I believe also it was in Professor Krutke's class that, Mike, you and I probably both made that argument. Oh, we were there uh, on the bar- manning the barricades that, against – yes, that, absolutely. Uh, yes, this professor of ours who was, was very big about the European Union and, and that uh, this was going to change the world and it was a really good idea. And, and I, I do distinctly remember that uh, you and I, or at least me, uh, made the argument that um, – you know, it, there's going to come a point in time where uh, the Germans uh, and and the uh, British will will not want to be paying more taxes to support uh, the the. Uh, well, at that point, we were more concerned about the French, and they've turned out to be not not quite as bad. But the, the Greeks and the Spanish and and so forth. Yeah, I, I think. And I still have very mixed feelings, certainly. I can see the advantages of economic union, but I think the problem is, and we see some of the problems with the terrorism issues and, and, and some other coordination issues, is that if you're not willing to give up a lot of sovereignty, you run into some real problems. So to kind of be half of a union, at a certain point, it starts to cause some real problems. You're either together or you're not. And so I think we're seeing a lot of those fault lines develop in Europe and a lot of, for a lot of things, not just, uh, not just security issues, but for some economic issues as well. And so, you know, I, I, I certainly think it, you can make a real good case that it's maybe not necessarily in the best interest of the UK to be in that union, though it might be in the best interest of the union to have the UK as part of it. I think you might. Oh, say. I think you're absolutely right on the the latter. You know um, uh, that uh, the the uh, union needs uh, the UK leadership. But uh, as you point out with the security thing, in, in a lot of ways, uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's an issue exactly. these days. And, and you know, we do kind of have a similar situation. There are plenty of Texans who are wondering, who've always wondered about <laughs> leaving the union. You know, and uh, the Republic of Texas was a great thing, and they kind of screwed up by ever. But uh, this is a, a slightly more feasible, I would think. That my my bet is that it's not going to happen. But I, I I like I said, I have very mixed feelings. I was much more sure of myself on this issue as I was on so many other issues back when I was uh, back when I was a college student. So now. Um, a little less sure, but I certainly understand that there are some pretty good arguments, both pro and con on this one. Yeah. And I'll, I'll still go back to it, but Hey, it's your continent. There you go. Um, so <laughs> Do with it what you will. You make yeah. the call there. But yeah, yeah absolutely. From, from my perspective. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well that, uh, that's our last question. That was, that was fun. I enjoyed that. How about you, yeah. Jay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's a lot of fun uh, to hear questions and get a perspective that, that we don't get here in, in the States. Yeah, so definitely. we really appreciate uh, you guys listening and, uh, and your support uh, of us. Yeah. So if there are any other classes or groups or what have you, bowling leagues, you have questions, hey, we, we'd love to do, I think, another lightning round. It was a lot of fun for us, something a little bit different. So let us know. Uh, anyway, Absolutely. Yeah. So that, uh, that's all our time we have for this episode of Ask the Politics, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions for future episodes or just any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we would love to hear from you. And you can reach us at our email. And, of course, you know that's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. And there's also our Facebook page where Jay and I will post and comment on news articles over the week. And you can join in. That's facebook.com slash page. There was a lot of action on our uh, how would you amend the Constitution thing. That was great. A lot of fun to see that. Um, 
And of course, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, please, if you could, just take a minute, if you haven't already, to write a quick review of the show. That really can help boost our listenership. And then finally, if you like what we're doing and would want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a buck or two, the price of a Belkin F8 V234 headphone splitter cable would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. Ask the Politics Guys. We'll be back next Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.